welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. How are you doing? Excellent. You sound in fine form. Sound pretty excited about 2011? Excellent. That's what we want. You'd have to be pretty much dead, I think, to have not at least heard some of the things that have been going on in our nation over the last little while. Obviously, there's been the floods, which I think at one stage I was saying something like nearly 75% of Queensland was underwater, which is just amazing. And then as if that wasn't tough enough to take, it seems like the bits that weren't underwater got hit by a cyclone. And what's going on? At the moment, if you've seen on the news, you see America is large parts are under snow, like having half a metre a day. And then add to that all the other famines and floods and fires and wars that are going on around the place. It's getting nuts. Like, what the heck is going on? Seriously. Is is the world always been like this and we just are hearing about it more now because of Facebook and Twitter and everything else? Or are things actually getting sort of speeding up and and becoming more and more catastrophic? I'm not going to talk about that tonight. (laughs) But it's worth thinking because I think the Bible does say a little bit about that. But it just hit me yesterday, I went to the um, service station, grabbed a paper, and this was the, the heading, you may or may not be able to see it, but it just says, it hurts. It hurts. And there's a couple of guys that look like sort of pretty tough Aussie blokes there, and they just look like they're about to cry, standing in front of a devastated house. And it just says, the grim reality hits home at Tully Heads, and then just goes on and talks a little bit about the scenario that these guys are faced with. And I don't know about you, but when you see stuff like that, you begin to ask questions. And I'm sure the people in the midst of that at the moment are asking questions. Some would be the obvious questions, like, were we insured before this hit? And are we really insured? We just think we were. All that sort of stuff's going on. Or, you know, how are we going to rebuild? Do we want to stay here or do you want to move to South Australia? (laughs) Because we seem to be very, very blessed in this this particular part of the country, I, I think. You know, you've got... People re-examining the building codes and wondering whether they're substantial enough. You've got people, I guess, reflecting on where they built. You know, was it a good idea to build where they did and so on and so forth. So you've got those sort of practical type of questions. But then you've also got the deeper type of questions that are being asked as well. Like, why did this happen? And is there anything we could have done about it to make it different? And probably the question which I think often comes to people's thinking is, where is God when it hurts? Where is God when it hurts? And that's the question I want to address tonight briefly. I'm not going to give you all the ins and outs, and it's not going to be a massive Bible study. I just want to share a few thoughts and get you thinking a little bit about this. But where is God when it hurts? I guess if you're an atheist, you'd say, well, where he's always been, like nowhere. If you're a Christian, I've seen a few Christian responses to this, and, and some of the, you know, it troubles me a little bit. Because one of the Christian responses has been this, that Queensland is under the judgment of God because of some things that Kevin Rudd has said, specifically about the nation of Israel, and and that's why this thing has hit them. Because the logic being that Kevin Rudd's a Queenslander, therefore, you know, so take it how you like. I don't know, I struggle with that sort of logic, but nonetheless, it is a, you know, a lot of Christians think that way, that stuff happens because of God judging people, or judging States or nations or whatever. I want to have a look at that in a minute. And then some people, I guess some other Christians' response might just be, well, hey, look, it doesn't really matter what happens here because at the end we all go to heaven. 
And I don't know about you, but that, that, that's actually true, by the way. <laughs> at, at one level. But it doesn't really help these guys. I'm sure they don't really want to hear that right now. Uh, these guys, not these guys, these guys. These guys look pretty happy. Um, especially this guy. <laughs> Go the Redbacks. Um, but these guys, to just say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. Your, your, your pain, your suffering, it doesn't matter. We're all right. You, you know, anyone, and, and praise God, you know, one person was killed in this particular incident with regards to cyclone, many more for the flood. But, but again, compared to Pakistan and what happened when they had floods, I mean, it's amazingly, we got it amazingly well in terms of fatalities. But imagine someone who's just lost someone. You think they're really going to find a lot of comfort. If they don't know God, they're just told, oh, it doesn't matter, they're in heaven now and you'll see them one day. Again, whether it's true or not, that does not necessarily help them right there and then. And so what I want to, have a do, what I want to do tonight is, is briefly look at, I guess, suffering within a Christian framework. Okay, like we're talking about, I'm talking about a bit of a, the Christian worldview tonight. Okay, because everyone has a worldview, everyone believes something about something. And so what I want to do tonight, because I don't know that every person here is a Christian, possibly you, you would say you have another religion or faith or philosophy or whatever, um, but I want to tell you a little bit about what we believe as Christians tonight. Okay, I might even preempt that by talking a little bit about what an atheist worldview and how suffering fits into that. Because for the atheist, suffering looks like this. Suffering hurts, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. It has no meaning. No matter how it came or what happens afterwards, it has no meaning. It doesn't matter about the lessons you learn. It doesn't matter whether there was great courage in the face of suffering. It doesn't matter if there was tremendous sacrifice in the face of suffering. At the end of the day, it all means nothing. Because we came from nothing, we go to nothing. And all life will end as we know it, ultimately, and it becomes meaningless. And I don't know about you, that's not overly inspiring. But it is, it's, a, it's a fair and a faithful um, summary of, of an atheist approach to suffering. Because how can, nothing, everything means nothing. That was Solomon's conclusion. He looked at life outside of God in the book of Ecclesiastes. He encouraged you to read it maybe one day. He looks at life outside of God and everything comes down to meaninglessness. Okay, so that's really that. But we don't believe that. Christians don't believe that. Christians believe that even suffering has a purpose. Even though it's not pleasant, even though it's sometimes difficult to understand and explain, even though it makes no sense at times, nonetheless, it fits well within a Christian framework. We can make sense of it and we can do something with it. So I just want to quickly come back to the beginning. Basically, sin, sorry, suffering finds its existence in sin. Sin and suffering are inextricably linked. Okay, Not to the point that I was talking about before about Kevin Rudd and whatever he said and then the cyclone suddenly hits Queensland necessarily. But nonetheless, you cannot separate sin and suffering. The good news is that suffering is not something um, like you would perhaps find in an eternal universe that is meaningless, that it's just always been there, it will always be there. But no, suffering was not there at the beginning. Suffering came into the world when sin came into the world. And so if sin and suffering have a beginning, sin and suffering also, the Bible tells us will have an end. So those things are linked, yes, but there's hope for the future still. Okay, when Adam and Eve came into the world, you possibly have heard the story of Adam and Eve, and God told them not to do something, they did it, and they rebelled against God. In so doing, they abdicated their authority on the planet, they gave it over to Satan, who was a hard taskmaster. From that moment, the world was in a downward spiral. Things got tough. 
People could no longer relate to one another well. They could no longer relate to God well. Um, the, the environment itself began to struggle and strain under the oppression of sin. Okay, you, it, think about it this way. I, I think I spoke a few months ago about when we did our Redemptive Names of God series. We spoke about um, Jehovah Shammah, the God who's always there. And I mentioned the fact that sin is like a computer virus. Imagine if it wasn't about a, a, a um, um, don't eat that fruit off the tree, but it was like, don't go onto that website because you could get a virus on the computer. Well, that's kind of what happened. Adam and Eve went where they shouldn't have gone and infected the earth with this virus called sin. And that, that sin virus has been affecting everything else ever since. Every problem that we face, be it physical, emotional, spiritual, social, Every environmental, all of it comes back to this virus of sin that has infected us. Again, it doesn't show itself necessarily um, all the time in very extreme ways. Sometimes like, it seems to be working under the surface. Life can be, seem to be going all right for, for some people, but, but then suddenly it just shows itself and life suddenly gets frustrating and tense again and there's, there's, there's enmity and disharmony, all that sort of stuff. And that's, that's what happens with this virus of sin. Again, every person is not as bad as they can be, but no person is as good as they should be as God intended it to be at the start. So sin and suffering are inextricably linked. You cannot separate the two. Okay, We have suffering in the world today because sin entered the world through man's choices. Rebellion against God. The second point I want to quickly make is that sin, although sin and suffering are linked, they're not necessarily proportional. What I mean by that is that you can't take a look at a person's life and see what's happening. You can't look at their situation and make a determination on whether they're going well with God or not. Let's quickly turn to the Bible. In Luke chapter uh, 13. Luke chapter 13 and verse 1. I'm just going to read something to you because I think it fits in with here. And it, Jesus is sort of addressing something like, perhaps, what those... People who are talking about judgment on Queensland, sort of addressing that sort of situation. He says here, uh, in, in Luke chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. In other words, there were some guys who went up to the temple doing some sacrificing. Some of Pilate's soldiers killed them and it ended up their blood and the blood of their sacrifices is mingled together. Okay, a tragedy. And these guys have told Jesus that. And Jesus obviously picks up on what they're really thinking in their hearts because he responds like this. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Do you South Australians think that because the cyclone didn't hit here that you're any better than those Queenslanders? That's really what Jesus is saying. He says, but unless you two repent, in other words, it doesn't matter. Like It's not about short or, or long-term life on this planet. It's just like, at the end of the day, there's got to be an accounting. Otherwise, there's going to be a perishing. And a perishing is about a life that is wasted. You can have, you can have a, um, an inner tube off a bike tire or something. And if it's perished, it doesn't mean it ceases to exist. It exists. But it is useless for its original and intended purpose. When a person is perishes in, in a biblical sense... I believe they become useless to God's intended purpose. They need to be put aside and no longer enjoy his presence and all that he has for us. And so Jesus says, look, don't, don't start to judge people. Don't make assumptions about why this happened or why that happened because you're all in the same boat. It doesn't matter if you're from Queensland or South Australia. It doesn't matter if you're a Galilean or a Judean or whatever. 
unless you repent. He goes on and uses another example. What about those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Again, an accident. Something just happens. Bam, some people die. Were they any worse than anyone else? Is our, you know, you look at the legislation in Queensland and what their government has enacted over there, is it any worse than some of the stuff we've got going on here in South Australia? People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And so I think and we can all be guilty of that. We can all be guilty of looking at someone's life and saying, oh, I know why that's happening. And Jesus said, hey, it's not so much about why it is happening to them. So just be thankful it's not happening to you. You'd be just as worthy of it. So sin and suffering are linked, but not necessarily proportional. We need to be really careful. We do not want to minimize sin at all. Sin is a, a significant and a powerful sickness that is ruining our planet and life right now. And as Christians, we cannot afford to take a, a, a wimpy view on sin. But at the same time, we need to understand that there is a th- such a thing as consequence and there is such a thing as judgment. But they don't always, it doesn't always necessarily mesh together nice and easy. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, they just do. And conversely, sometimes good things happen to bad people. History is full of it. It was a source of frustration. You read through the Bible and you just see tons of it happening. And, it's, and you see the psalmist just screaming, Oh God, how come? How come these guys are doing this and that and everything else? And here I am, your faithful servant. I'm suffering and they're in palaces. They're doing it fine, thank you very much. You might know some people like that right now. But it doesn't mean that they're living under the favour of God. It might look like it. The Jews had made the problem in, in, in those that were speaking to Jesus um, Basically, the Bible does talk about blessings for you know, obedience and cursings for disobedience and so on and so forth. But unfortunately, even way before Jesus was on the scene, we, the whole book of Job is about this. Is this, this assumption that if my life is going well, it must mean that God is pleased with me. And that person's life is going bad. Well, God isn't pleased with them. It was an assumption that had kind of come into the peace feeling, but it's not a right assumption. And so if you today are suffering, don't beat yourself up. Unless you actually know that there's some stuff you need to deal with. But don't allow the devil to get on your case and, and, and to examine yourself inside out and feel useless. And some, somehow I've done something wrong that God is cursing me. No, stuff happens. And often, stuff happens to those that God likes best. The last thing I want to look at quickly is just this. That suffering is not meaningless. Suffering in God's hands has a purpose. Outside of God, outside of a a, a mind and a heart behind this universe, everything is meaningless. But in God's hands, suffering has meaning. You know, some some guys come up to Jesus, and there was a blind man there, and and they said, who sinned that this man was born blind? Again, that same thinking I mentioned before. Who sinned that this man was born blind? John chapter 9, verse 1, I think it is. And Jesus said, quickly find it. No one sinned. Where are we? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. So in other words, God can take really bad situations and actually use them for good. That's pretty encouraging to me. 
These things have purpose. They're not just, we're not just the product of random chance and, and we've just got to take what comes. And they get spat out the end of it and it, it means nothing at the end of the day. But in God's hands, even suffering can be purposeful. A few things that God can do, it's three very quick things. The first thing that God can do is he can refocus. I think this is the, the main thing. The worst thing that God could do to this planet, having had sin enter the world, having the whole world come under the, the, the wrath of God, the impending judgment of God. That's what the Bible says. That man sinned, man rebelled against God. God needed to bring judgment, but he withheld it for a season. He's patient with us, the Bible says. He's holding off as long as he possibly can because he wants no one to perish. But nonetheless, we are all under a death sentence. Every one of us, outside of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, every one of us will face judgment and have to pay the full price of sin. The worst thing that God could do was allow this world to just sail on into the sunset merrily on its own way. If you are in a plane... Um, and there's a mountain ahead. You, you want to know that you want you want to sorry and um, sorry and there's a mountain ahead, and you've got your autopilot on. You want some something to start letting you know that something's wrong up ahead. Yeah. All right. You want you want to be able to get some feedback that something is not all as it should be, so that you can make some adjustments. Yeah. Don't know if my illustration worked really well then, but you know what I'm saying. You don't just want to be thinking everything's okay when it's not. Suffering in the world today tells us everything is not okay. It's there to refocus us. It's there to shock us and wake us up. Because so many of us just get on the rat race. We think life and success is about getting married, perhaps having a few kids, climbing to the top of the the business empire, or having lots of money in the bank, having a boat with some skis behind it, or whatever. That stuff is what people focus on. And suddenly, bam, it's all gone through a cyclone. They're all the boats are washed up on the beach. And people are saying, what the heck is going on here? And they find in the midst of that tragedy, I'm so thankful my wife's alive. Thank God my kids are in another state like South Australia. <laughs> Seriously. And you begin to reevaluate and find out what really matters. And then you might even begin to ask some of those bigger questions. What would happen if I did die? What if I was in my boat when it hit the land? And so God wants to refocus us through these tragedies. He doesn't want us to blindly sail on as if nothing's wrong and then eternally without him. He wants to refocus us. And so it's his grace, really. I'm not saying that God sends judgment and that God is behind every bad thing. He allows it to happen. The devil is doing his worst to ruin your life. And God is restraining him. But at times he lets a few things through to the keeper just in order that we can learn a few lessons along the way as well and, and... Use the devil's own tactics against him. So the first thing is about refocus. The second thing is about refining. Often we get better through the tough times, not the good times. The good times, again, we just sit back and relax and we just cruise on the way we'd always go. But God is wanting to change us and transform us and bring us more into his image. I know for me, when I was at school, I wasn't particularly a nice boy. And I, <laughs> and I got away with it for a long time. I got away with it until year 11. I was, I was very nasty to a whole bunch of people. And it didn't matter if they were guys or girls, I just really abused some of the, I guess, some of the, the favour I had and some of the privilege I had and, and used that to belittle other people and stuff. But year 11 was my year. Suddenly it all came my way. I don't know what happened, but I was the guy who didn't want to be around for a little while. Even my friends kind of, they still liked me, but they weren't, didn't want to be with me. <laughs> because then they would become targets as well. And seriously, 
there wasn't one particular thing that made it happen. It was just like God just wanted to teach me a lesson. And for those of you that think I'm a nice guy, it's because of my year 11, I think. Seriously, I think a lot of it had to do with God put me through something in order that I could learn something about how other people feel. And so I hope I'm a bit nicer as a result of that. God refined me through that period of suffering in my life. I'm so glad that, I mean, one day it might happen, but one day there might be some girls come to this church who I went to school with, or who I dated, or, or they you know, and they're going to think, nah. <laughs> anyway, that'll be good. They might even listen to it on an MP3 or something, I don't, who knows. But if they were here, they would verify it. And the last thing, the last thing that happens, okay, so God will refocus people through, through hardship and suffering and pain and he can refine them through that time too. But he can also reveal himself. Yeah. And again, if you look at the majority of people in this world who have come to a relationship with God and who know God more deeply, it's been in the tough times. It's not when they've been on the top of the pile. Because yeah. you've generally been pretty self-satisfied and consumed with their own stuff then. Yeah. But it's when God knocks us off our horse, when God challenges our comfort zones... And only when he challenges our comfort zones can he really reveal himself as the comforter, for, as an example. When we're comfortable, we're not going to experience God, the comforter. When we become uncomfortable, suddenly we can experience God, the comforter. And so our, our, our revelation of God can grow. Our understanding of who he is can grow through tough times. Is this making sense? Excellent. So this, this really, I mean, I'm pretty much finished. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's a miracle. <laughs> but... This is, this is a Christian understanding of suffering. This is how it fits in. There's a loving God who is doing everything that he possibly can to save us. He didn't make us sin, but he is a loving and a just God. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished because ultimately if he lets, if he lets one thing go, where does it stop? And that means that he has to embrace all of the nonsense that's, that's in our world for all of eternity long. At the end of the day, he's putting a, he's putting a line in the sand. He said, this far and no further to sin... And to suffering. And to anyone who doesn't want to go with along with, with my ruling on this. And so in the, short, in the meantime, he's doing all that he can and allowing all that he can in order that we might come to our senses. As I said, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. Just talks about, you know, end times and, and stuff getting worse before it gets better. And says, God's not slow in keeping his promises. Some of you have said, oh, what, you know, this whole idea of a flood, that's ridiculous, that'll never happen. That's what they were saying back then. You know, things will just go on the way they always have. And many people today could be thinking, oh, well, things will just keep going on the way they always have. But a day is coming when God is going to step out of heaven and he's going to begin to deal seriously with those that have rebelled against God. And that day is being held off as long as possible because God loves us. And... Also, I think that's why things are going to get worse rather than better. I'm not, I don't believe that we need to be fearful of the future as Christians. But I do believe that if God is God and God is gracious and God has got a, an eternal ske- a schedule that he's working to, it's in all likelihood things are going to get better and be at their worst just before he comes back because he's wanting as many people to come to their senses and be shaken out of their lethargy as possible. Can I just pray quickly and then we're going to Go to the screen and just, just so, I mean, I've said a few things. I haven't really used a lot of scripture. We've preached plenty of other topics, uh, more substantial 
um, sermons on probably a whole bunch of the things that I've spoken about. And all of those things are free on the website. There's some wonderful books out there. In a minute, we're going to have a look at a testimony. It's almost real-life experience of God in the midst of a tough time. But I'd love to pray for you just before we do that. And particularly pray for, for any that aren't as uh, Christians here tonight and have had questions and maybe even are struggling right now with what I've shared. I'm going to ask that God would settle some things in your heart tonight. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share a few words here tonight. I thank you that your word is a sure foundation on which we can build our lives. I thank you that unlike many religions and many philosophies, your word matches reality. What we see around about us, what we feel and experience is exactly what we see and read in Scripture. Lord, I pray that this word tonight would help us in the midst of hardship, that we would allow ourselves to be refocused, allow ourselves to be refined, and allow ourselves to rediscover you, and not to just stress out and be fearful. I pray, Lord, it would also be a restraining influence in our lives. It would be much slower to point the finger and to assume that this person is under the judgment of God when really they just need a help, some help, uh, a helping hand from us. Or to assume that person is under the blessing of God just because things look good for them and to be intimidated by that. God, help us to have a right perspective on this life that we live. Lord, for those who don't know you and have perhaps even been offended by what I've said today, affronted by it, Lord, I pray that um, where there's truth, that truth would take root. And even if it's wrestled with, Lord God, that it would win the day ultimately, that you could have your way and bring as many people to yourself as possible. We don't want to be selfish and hold on to your goodness for ourselves, but we want all and sundry to share it with us. So Lord, may you use your word and may it do people good tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.